14 through 26. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were, they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is God's word. Please be seated. Father, we're thankful for this reading that Bob has just done from your sacred text. And uh, we, we approach it uh, tonight praying that you will help us to have all of the respect and all of the humility before this great text that we need to in order to hear it properly and, and to see it properly. And we pray also for the courage to apply it to our lives and to make the adjustments and, and to reorient the way that uh, that we deal with one another in light of your presence in our life, to, to reorient our lives with each other in such a way that it reflects the, the, the profoundness and the greatness of, the, of this text. Uh, we, we know, Father, that our minds are finite. And that is why we pray for your help as we seek and strive uh, to be good students, to be good stewards of it. We, we, we strive with your help and, and with your, your special blessings of insight. And this is what we pray for to happen tonight, Father, for our church family. And we ask it in the name of Jesus and all the church said. I, I want to talk about membership tonight and, and fellowship. And I, I'm going to say something that is just so simple that it seems almost an insult uh, to say it out loud to the Sunday night crowd. But here's the statement. Fellowship, that is being members of the Lord's body is at times a very difficult thing. It's so simple. I mean, we've all experienced the truth of that, of that statement. Sometimes being a member of the Lord's body, being a member of the Lord's church because of people is a very difficult thing. And that's why I want you to write this truth down on your outlines. It's up here on the screen. Love is a resource that God gives His people in order to unite them. 
Now, at, you know, at first blush, we go, you know, I have all the love that I need. I'm a very loving person. I have, no, God gives love as a resource in order, He gives it to His people in order to unite them. When Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, here's a new command that I'm going to give you. Now, he is getting their attention because he has done something that has just discombobulated them in terms of their understanding of how they're to relate to one another. They see hierarchy. Jesus is turning that on its ear by becoming a servant or acting as a slave, as we talked about this morning, by washing their feet. And then he says, I'm going to tell you something new. I want you to get your mind around this new command, love one another. As I have loved you, as I have just shown you what love is, so you must love one another. By this, everyone know that you are my disciples. He could have said a lot of stuff there, right? He could have said a lot of different things. He could have said, they're going to know it because of this or that or this or that. He says, in the way that you love one another, in the way that you love each other, the way that I, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, the King... The Master loves you. That is how you love one another. The, the world will know that you belong to me if you love one another that way. Now what he is asking us to do is quite frankly beyond us. We need help to love people like Jesus loved us. And that is why in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, you have to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. When you walk by the flesh, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be immorality. There's going to be dissension. You're going to fight with one another. You're going to devour one another. You'll stab each other in the back. You'll gossip. You'll slander. You'll libel each other. But you've got to walk by the Spirit if you want this church in the region of Galatia to survive. And when you walk by the Spirit, there is going to be this fruit that is beyond you your, I, I should say, beyond your own means to produce it. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the very first thing that happens? Love. That is generated as fruit of the Spirit that God puts inside of you, that you have walked, decided to walk in accordance or in agreement with. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love. We need help to love people this way, to love people the way that Jesus loved us. Now, what we don't need quite frankly, is help with the decision to obey it. That is on us. So what are we aiming for with this kind of fellowship? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, For just as one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form what? One body, and each member belongs to all the others. A couple of times in that passage he talks about one body. That's the aim. How do you become one body? Well, first of all, you get your mind around the commandment that says you get that's, that's what you're aiming for. That's the target. The second thing you do is submit yourself to the work of the Spirit inside of you so that the kind of love that needs to be generated in order for that unity to become uh, a reality, for that, that kind of unity to become a, a fruition in the body of Christ his, the, the church it, it's, done, it, it's done by the help of the Spirit. So here's where the theology of the Incarnation becomes kind of important to us. 
You know what the incarnation is? Christ is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He becomes flesh. He dwells among us. He, he lives the life that we should have lived. He dies the death that we should have died. He, he dies on the cross. He is buried on the third day. He is resurrected. Forty days later, He ascends into heaven. But the incarnation does not stop with the ascension of Jesus into the heavens. The incarnation becomes incarnational in us. That is, the incarnation, what it is that God was doing in Jesus, in the flesh, in the form of a man, continues to be done in us, in the church. Listen to these verses from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of His mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sometimes, you know, we can't see the forest for the trees. Or, you know, I never get that saying right. Maybe you can't see the trees for the forest. I, sometimes we don't see what's really obvious, right? We, we look at Paul's letter sometimes, and he tells us right at the very beginning what it is that he's trying to get us to do. Here it is. is to understand what life is like, not just as an individual and not just in the larger community of Colossae, but what it means in a church community, a, a church community that belongs to Jesus in a community like Colossae. And that is Christ in you. And then Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, go nine verses prior to that. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the body, which is not really a body the way that we think with some physicality to it, a body. It's the church. Christ continues to be present wherever Christians are because... He is in us and we are in Him. Now what does this mean for us? Well, at, at, at one level what it means is that it is, I think, absolutely proper to think of the church as a living organism rather than an organization. Think about all of the metaphors you find in the New Testament that describe who we are and what we are as followers of Jesus. We are vines and branches. That means that there's something organic. It's, it's, it's an organism. It's got life in it. We are the bride, which means that we're not only beautiful, but there is, a, there is a, 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 an organism aspect to being the bride of Christ. Even when in Ephesians chapter 2 he describes us as stones, we are described as what kind of stones, church? Living stones. And then probably one of the least... Um, uh, probably the most insulting way that we're referred to and the, the least encouraging and the least complimentary way is this, we're, we're sheep. We're sheep. And, and why this is important to get our mind around these metaphors that indicate the idea of, of us continuing incarnationally the life of Christ and how we live is that the church needs to be understood as, as an organism rather than an organization. If, if the church is just an organization, then all you need are better structures to improve it. That's organizational thinking. But if the church is an organism, then what we need are better disciples of Jesus, more profound if the church is an organism, then to love one another more deeply has to be an organic component of Christian character that fosters unity and health in the body. Now, you, you know, from time to time, probably since the 60s, because everything, you know, became, 
you know, there's just this sense of rebellion that just kind of erupted in, in Western culture in the 60s. You know, and since the 60s, uh, at, at least in, you know, where I kind of became aware of things, there has been this trouble with this idea of placing membership. You know, I, I understand all of the reasons for uh, having trouble with the idea of placing membership and so on and so forth. Listen, membership, though, is, is, is where it begins at, at, at the most basic level of what it means to be in fellowship with other people. You know, there, there are arguments against using that. Listen, I'm, I'm for that language, quite frankly. I am a member of the MacArthur Park Church of Christ. But membership has to transcend organiz, organizational practice and become this dynamic and organic way of thinking and being if we are really to capture the New Testament meaning. Now, you remember last week I, I said, you know, there's this gigantic difference between being a club and being a member of a family. And one of the ways that we described it last week is that in a family there's not non-selectivity. In a family there's not really, you know, there's, there's non-privacy. It's, it's really different from a club. Uh, I, let me build on that a little bit uh, more or expand it a little bit by illustrating another difference between family and a club. What do you do to get into membership of a family, to become a member of a family unit. You are what? Born into it. Right. Right. What do you do to become a, a member of a club? Basically, three things. You pay the dues, you make an appearance every once in a while, and you agree to adhere to the rules. Now, being a member of the church is more than just showing up once in a while. Being a member of this particular church body is more than just showing up once in a while, paying the dues and keeping the rules. Now, for a lot of places, that is all that membership entails, but that is why it's possible when a church acts not like a family, but like a club, that's why people can go out the back door and nobody notices. It's because they're not connected organically the way that Bob read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that we are members, one of another. God designed it that way and made us the way that we are and fits us together in such a way that we become this cohesive body with health in it where the members are loving one another as Jesus has loved us, which is a spiritual resource that comes from God's Spirit that helps all of that to be knit together in such a way that it becomes this beautiful bride, this sheep that follows living stones that are knit together and cemented together and connected in such a way that it becomes this, 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 this beautiful place where God's Spirit is pleased to dwell. And that's why when it's not that way, we can lose a member and don't realize it. But the bottom line is, with all of this language about body, about body, about body, about body, about organism, 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 can you really lose a member of your body and not know it? You come home from school one day. Your mom goes, where in the world are your ears? When you left here this morning, you had two of them. Where are they? You said, mom, I don't know. You know, maybe I left them in the locker at school. I mean, I don't know. No, when you lose something like that, you know, it becomes an, an indelible experience in your life. You cannot lose a physical member of your own physical body and not know it unless there is a tremendous disconnect with reality, a, a tremendous disconnect uh, with, with what is functional as dysfunctionality takes over the entire body. Think of it this way. 
You know, ever ever once in a while, you know, I talked to Courtney Keita about going down to Stone and Soil and buying some stones. Now, this would never happen, but for the sake of argument, suppose I decided, you know, I don't know if I want to buy them. I think I'm going to steal them. So in the middle of the night, I'm going to go over to Stone and Soil. If you've ever been, it's a beautiful place. It's a great place to buy stuff. And they have some, some uh, piles of rock and they have some piles of stone. And they have some piles of, of, of some brick over there, you know, cut stone that look like brick over there. And then they also have with sidewalks and some other things, stones and rocks and bricks that have been mortared together. They're cemented and connected together so that you can kind of get an idea of what it's going to look like. So I'm going to go over there, and maybe I'm not the, the, you know, the brightest bulb in the package, but I'm going to go over there with my F-150 and I'm going to steal some stone because I don't want to pay for it. Which of the stones and the bricks and the rocks am I going to steal? The ones that are connected to each other or the ones that are just kind of loosely connected to each other in a pile? Which do you think Satan tries to attack in a church? If Satan tries to steal members, to which pile does he go? And this is why we have to have a strong understanding, a deep, abiding theological understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ. It means something to be a member of the MacArthur Park Church of Christ, which is an organism and not a club, which is an organization. Now, by the way, we do want you to show up. We do want you to pay the dues. <laughs> and we do want you to <laughs> adhere to the rules. But it's more than that. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read it again. But I'm going to begin this time with verse 12, and I'm going to go to verse 20. Now, listen again to these words that Bob read earlier. It's from the hand of Paul. This is inspired stuff. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. You know, it doesn't matter. All those bricks look different. All the rocks look different. It's all knit together by one Spirit through one baptism in one, one body, right? Christ. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am a hand, uh, uh, be, uh, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. But what is he trying to say there? It would be dysfunctional. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would that sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of this, but, one, uh, but before we move on, I, I want to say something about sort of that last section. It kind of hit me funny while Bob was reading it. That, you know, we really do think that the visible parts sometimes are the most important parts. Take, for instance, you know, the hands. The hands do so many things. In fact, I need the hands to get where I want to go so that I can drive. I can put that truck into, into drive, into reverse. I can park it and these kinds of things. I, you know, I use my hands to be able to, you know, to eat 
you, you, you know, my gluten-free food these days. There, there, you know, there's so many things that I, I, I use these visible hands for. And if you thought that just because it's visible, it's most important, then you'd say, yeah, the hands are the most important part because they seem to be doing the most stuff. But what about my lungs? I have never seen a picture of them. I know they're there. The doctor told me they are. The doctor has listened to them. The, the doctor told me that, that they were incredibly healthy lungs. But here's the thing. If I were to lose... If I were given a choice, you can lose your lungs or lose your hands. Help me out here. Which one should I lose? The hands. Because those unseen parts are the things that are keeping me alive. But then there's a second thing that I want to say about this text, and that is, you know, this text just really flies in the face of the high value our culture places on independence. But this is the language of body life and family and church. You know, I've been talking a lot about my ears. You know, I like my ears a lot. I, I listen to God's Word. I listen to my wife's sweet voice. I listen to all kinds of music, from classical to rock to pop to country. I listen to people in moments of counseling. My ears play a terrific part of, of making my day special. But if for some reason I, I did come home one night and my ears were gone, what would happen to those ears? They would begin to decay because they were disconnected to my body. They would begin to decay into dust and they would become putrid and they would, they, they, they would break down into dust. And one of the things that Paul is trying to get across to this church in Corinth is that this statement, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody else in my life. I don't need anyone else is in reality a danger, dangerous way of thinking when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Because participation in the body, is not just a higher value than, than isolation. It is a healthier way to live. It is a more dynamic way to live. It is a way in which you actually grow in your Christian character. You grow organically in your understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not just head knowledge, but it becomes a, a, a way that your life is lived vibrantly and with vitality and with a dynamism in, in everyday life because you are a member of a body. And God wants all of those, you know, the third thing maybe out of this text that we'll talk about tonight is, is that God wants all of His people to be united. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. One of His last prayers, one of His last pieces of ministry before He died on the cross was to pray for all of the, the ones that God had given Him. That they would be united. That they would, that they would be one. That they would be one together the way that Jesus and God and God and Jesus were one. That they would be one together. You know, one of the, the greatest illustrations of this comes from a book that was written in the 1970s by Juan Carlos Ortiz. It's a book entitled Disciple. And what he talks about is the kind of potatoes that, that God is looking for. And he, and he writes, and this is a quote, he says, if you've ever picked potatoes, you know that a bunch of potatoes grow underneath a potato plant. And when the harvest comes, all the potatoes are dug up and they're put into one sack. So they are really, in reality, regrouped. But they're not really united yet. They may say, oh, praise the Lord, now we are in the same sack. But they're really not one. They have to be washed and peeled. And when that happens, they think they're closer yet. How nice is this love among us, the potatoes say. But that's not all. They are then cut in pieces and mixed. And at that point, they are beginning to get there, but they have yet not lost a lot of... They have already at this point lost a lot of their individuality. 
And they really think that they're ready for the master now. But what God wants is mashed potatoes. Not many potatoes, but mashed potatoes. Where no potato can stand up and say, here I am, by myself, a potato. And then he ends by saying, the word must be we. That's why the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father which art in heaven, and not my Father which is in heaven. End of quote. You, you know, there, there has to be a way for the reality of what Paul says in Romans 12, for that reality to become a reality here, where he says, you know, we weep with those that weep and we rejoice with those that rejoice. There has to be a way that we are so uh, connected with one another, even if we've never been in each other's house. But there is a way because of the love that unites us, this resource that comes from God, this, this understanding of what it means to be one body, this, this, this understanding of what it means to be an important part, just the way that God has put it together, so that when somebody has something great that happens in their life, we're not jealous about it, we don't, you know, we don't say they don't deserve it, we don't wish it had happened to us instead, but we rejoice with those that rejoice because something great, a blessing of God has fallen upon them. And if we really sense that we're a body, when something good happens to the hand, it happens to the foot as well. And we can rejoice with those that are rejoicing because their blessing becomes our blessing because we're like mashed potatoes. We're in this thing together. And the same thing when, when, when they weep. You know, it's an old illustration, but every one of us in this room at one time or another has stubbed our toe in the middle of the night trying to get from one place to another in a dark room. And you know what that's like. You get out of bed, you're, you're going into the kitchen to get a glass of water, and your spouse's dresser jumps in the way, in, in the path, and you stub that toe, and it's like all the neon lights in Las Vegas have gone off in your brain. And every part of that body ministers to that toe that has just gotten crushed. One time I'm playing football. I don't know why I was playing barefoot. It's California, and I'm in my 20s. That's the only explanation I can give. But I'm playing football barefooted. Two of us go for a pass. We run into each other. I break my toe in, in, in like 20 different places, my big toe. I mean, it, just, it really wasn't broken. It was shattered. And we look at the x-ray and it's just shattered. And when that happened, my mind sent out a red alert, an ER you know, uh, alert, for every part of my body to minister to that toe. And so my hands grabbed it. My mouth yelled for help, uh, yelled for ice. You know, the tears welled up in my eye because my eyes were showing solidarity with the hurt in the toe. And, and that's what happens when we're together like that. That it's, 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 it's weeping with those that weep because when something terrible, a tragedy visits the life of somebody that we've been given the spiritual resource of love as a special way of uniting ourselves together, when that is really happening, when it happens to them, it happens to us, whether it's good or it's bad. And you know, that's one of the ways that the church keeps from splitting. I think that one of the most amazing things about our church... Uh, is, is that warm unity that we have. Where we're able to, to, to deal with tragedies, we're able to deal with the, the great things, we're able to deal with problems, and we're able to deal with, with people's sinfulness and, and not blow up. I've, I've worked for churches like that. And that's one of the ways that you stop from, from being the kind of body that, that implodes or actually explodes. Instead of members one of another, that kind of church begins to separate into parts thinking about not what is best for everybody else, but what is best for us. That's why splits take place. Nobody splits over good theology. 
Nobody says, you know what? We are not going to be a member of this church anymore because we do not believe in the virgin birth anymore. Or we don't believe that God created the earth. We don't believe that the Bible... You know, it's not over good theology. It is over something... It's, it's never over good theology. It's over terrible discipleship. It's where people have decided that what is best for me is best for the church. The church is the most influential force on the planet. When we are united and loving one another and that body is strong and vibrant, do you know what the most dynamic force for good and change in Bear County is? You're looking at it. You're looking at it. And that is why Satan sows discord, quite frankly. And that's why tonight I plead with all of us once again to commit to protect the unity of this church. Not just in not fighting with one another, but in committing to be a deepening, more profound, more discipled member of the Lord's body. The big question is this, and I'll end. I'll end with a question end with a verse. The question is this, that I want you to think about. If everyone practiced your style of membership, would the MacArthur Park Church of Christ be a healthy church? And I'll end with these words. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort, every effort, not half time, not quarter, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Jeff's going to lead us in a song. Maybe we can minister to you some, somehow tonight. It might be through giving your life to Jesus and being baptized. It might be with sitting down with one of our shepherds or one of our ministers and talking about your life and how to become a better disciple and even a better member of our church family. We invite all of these needs to come and to be healed and to be solved and resolved and, and dealt with and, and all of that tonight. And if that describes you somehow, we're going to have some of our shepherds, our elders down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them and express your need as we stand and praise God together.